0: Ray Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on, and grab your seat. You sit comfortably, then let's dive in.
1: Hello.
0: You, yeah, you remember? Hello, look, we've just had a little break. We've all needed it, haven't we? But I tell you what, it's so nice to be back. Just, um, just to let you know, I'm full of hay fever. It's not a great way to kick off season 10, is it? But yeah, I am, so forgive me. What's been going on? Have you been well? Have you been keeping yourself nice and healthy and happy? i tell you what, in the UK at the moment, the weather is beautiful. It's making everybody a lot happier. Um, I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're well and things are going good. And guess what? It's going to get better because the Two Shot Podcast is back, yes, for season 10. Can you believe it's season 10? Oh my God. Um... That sounded terrible, but I'm actually really excited. It's really good to be back. Um, and have we got some guests for you? Yes, yes, we have. It wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't. It would just be me rambling. Uh, we don't want that. So, what to tell you? Do you like the new theme music? The the I say new. It's still there, but the remix is great. The new artwork for the socials is brilliant from Stan Chow. Basically, what we've done, we've had a bit of uh, a renovation. It's the same, but a little bit shinier. A little bit polished. Kind of. Do you know what I mean? I hope you're enjoying it. I hope. Uh, Oh, also, look, welcome to any new listeners. Uh, I know there's been lots. And you are very welcome here come and join the community. Because we are a community. We've built this up for just over five years. It's going all right, isn't it? We all get on. We've had no squabbles, no falling outs. It's a very kind place. Um, Where we sit down each week and we talk to a creative soul. And it's, you know, for new listeners, it, if, uh, I, well, let's just say, for instance, actors are coming on. They're not here to talk about their new projects. We're here to sort of dissect and get to the bones of who they are, because that's what's important, that's what we can all relate to. Um, and it just so happens that we're kicking off season 10 with an actor. Now, there are two shows on television right now that everyone's talking about. One is on Disney Plus, and it's called Pistol. It's directed by the legend himself, Mr Danny Boyle, and it stars this week's guest. But not only is she in that, she's also in BBC's much-talked-about and much-loved from what I've been hearing on the radio and certain reviews. Thank you, Boyd Hilton and the Pilot TV Podcast for giving it everything I know about love, a lot of love. Uh, if you've read the book by the majestic Dolly Alderton, this is adapted by her and it's glorious and it stars today's guest, Emma Appleton. She is just lovely and chatty. Um, just like, you know, you know I don't really talk about my work that much because uh, it's not that podcast is it uh, but I did work with Emma on everything I about love and uh, I just found her absolutely adorable she's great company, very easy company as you'll hear from this chat and I couldn't think of anyone better to kick off season 10 season 10, it still shocks me uh, of the two shot podcast than Emma Appleton so look grab your brew fluff your pillows, get comfy and let's dive in to season 10 of the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant Emma Appleton. You enjoy, I'll see you at the end. Now, Emma, the last time we saw each other, we'd taken a lot of ecstasy (laughs) and we were on a cobbled street in Liverpool trying to dodge torrential rain. And if you haven't seen Everything I Know About Love, uh, all episodes available now on the BCI Player, that will make no sense.
1: That's going to be an epic headline, though.
0: (laughs) How how have you been since that fateful day?
1: (laughs) So good. I feel like it's been such a blur, to be honest, because that was back in, when was that? I don't know, October maybe?
0: Yeah, Something I think it was then. the back end of the year, yeah.
1: Um, so obviously filmed the rest of the show until December and then it was Christmas and I went away for a bit and then it's just been this mad press time, um, which I haven't really done before. I kind of forgot. That if you make shows, you then have to go and talk about them when you've made them.
0: Well, that's the, that's the thing that I always um, say, that the job only ends when you're on this morning or you're talking to the reporters and they go, All right, oh, and they ask you questions and you go... I've no idea because it was like a year ago and I I, I just can't think, what is my character called? I've done a few more jobs luckily since then and uh, everything's a blur, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly that. And I think when you are working at such a quick rate as well, your brain is, you're like a USB stick. You're constantly kind of just deleting stuff as you're going on so you can just keep doing the scenes and learning the lines. So when you finished it, I mean, I could remember about, what, three days out of the whole... Five months? Um, yeah. And then it's like you need to go back and, and study it. I might start keeping a diary on my later job, so then basically I've done my homework by the time I get around to press.
0: Have you ever kept a diary in real life? In real life. <laughs> I mean, when, when you were, maybe when you were younger.
1: I really tried. I think I had uh like an idea that I would start I would put pen to paper and it would just be like absolute genius going onto the page um and it was just very very self-indulgent and I got bored quite quickly because I wasn't I mean you know grew up in the Cotswolds just going to school and seeing my mates. so it was like oh I went to one stop today
0: yeah, waited for the bus. Wait There's only the bus. one an hour in yeah. the countryside. Well, let's go back cuz I I do want to talk about mm. uh acting, but I do want to talk about modeling as well. But let's go back. You touched on there about growing up in the countryside. Was it was it in Oxfordshire? Yeah. Yeah. How how was that for you? Cuz it's it's cuz I I've lived, cuz I used to live in Gloucestershire. Oh. And it's a very, it's a very different way of life. Obviously, I wasn't growing up there. I was going there as kind of an adult, um, but going from Camden and going to the Cotswolds. I mean, wow, it's so different. But growing up there, you obviously you didn't know. Did you know anything else? Well,
1: that's the thing. Like, I did. I didn't know any different. Um, but I kind of always thought, wait, there must be more than this. I remember going into Oxford Town Centre on the weekends and being like, wow, is this is cinema, like, this is really cool. And there's, like, a <laughs> department store. Um yeah. was pretty epic. Um, but all my friends were there, so I kind of didn't want to be anywhere else. You know, it was just, it was exactly what I knew. But it was very, I remember watching This Country for the first time when it came out. And I was like, they have absolutely hit the nail on the head. Like, hanging out at the Buttercross just talking about, I don't know, someone's nan that you saw in Sainsbury's.
0: <laughs> I mean, they just had all the material on the doorstep, didn't they? I mean, they really... I, remember, I, remember, I didn't live not too far away from, from where Charlie and Daisy filmed that. Um, and if anybody wants to listen, Charlie Cooper has been on this podcast, <laughs> so do go back and listen. It's a very good episode. Uh, but it's not about Charlie Cooper, it's about you, Emma. It's funny, isn't it, growing up in in the countryside because my son was born there and now splits his time between the countryside and the city so he kind of gets a bit of everything really and then when me or his mum take him into London then it goes up another level you know um but was it a happy time in the countryside Um up?
1: Most of the time. No, it was because, you know, I grew up in such, like, an idyllic place. I had my friends around. They lived around the corner. It was the days where you could, like, run around and play outside. And the the classic days everyone talks about, you didn't text each other. You'd be like, right, I'm going to knock on your door at 5 p.m. We're going to play for a bit. And then you'd run home and have dinner and be like, I'll meet you back here in 30 minutes. And you just have to be there. Um, So I think... I think I definitely do look at it in like slightly rose tinted glasses as well, where like it was just every day was a summer day. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because sometimes you may be, you know, not saying you, but one might not appreciate it as, as a child. But then as an adult, you go back and you go, this is just perfection. This is kind of exactly what I need. I don't care that there's no buses. Mm. I love that there's no traffic and I like the peace and I like the quiet. But then again, I'm a I'm a forty six year old man, so that's kind of what I want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I think hindsight's, you know, a beautiful thing in that respect. Um, and I've got so much appreciation for it as I've grown older, which I really, I really enjoy. And it makes me love going home and seeing my family because I do love having the best of both worlds, being able to live in London and have this world. And then, you know, like this weekend, I'm like, I can just jump on a train for an hour and go back and sit in my parents' garden, which backs onto a field. And, I mean, you can hear the A40 sometimes, so not super relaxing, but (laughs) you can pretend that it's, you know. Look, it's, it's
0: better than just, like, the bombardment of, like, Camden High Street or the Edgware Road. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it can. London can get quite intense, and it's nice to just go back. And also, I feel like it triggers a lot of memories when I walk through the High Street. I'm like, God, my friends. We used to drink there when we were underage, or we used to like, you know, um go and see films at, you know, the place where they had the. Was that they had the projection screen? That's what we had. It was a corn exchange. We didn't have a cinema for ages.
0: Uh, you know, all the best places have got corn exchange.
1: Exactly. I don't even know what a corn
0: exchange does. Nobody knows. There's <laughs> just where you meet and where you hang out and an occasionally cause a bit of trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So, how was school for you? What was the? What was the, was there a plan at school?
1: No. Um, My parents were lucky if they could get me into school. Um, (laughs) I really didn't like going from the first day, actually. I remember being excited to go and then I got there and my brain just went, no, no, I don't fancy this. Um, And it basically carried on that way. Really? Um, For the whole of school. Yeah, I just never quite (laughs) acclimatised to it. I think the structure didn't suit me, which is so silly because as a kid it's like you just go to school you hang out with your friends you got your packed lunch you learn interesting things you play outside like you know really what is there to be fussy about and, and also
0: I, children need structure
1: absolutely and routine um yeah and i just i just didn't like it and it made me feel incredibly anxious um Pretty much the whole whole way through, there were a few classes I really liked going to anything creative, like English and drama and stuff where I was kind of using my imagination um but if yeah. it was anything that um, had a very specific formula science maths i just didn't didn't get along did with you, it
0: did you did you just switch off uh, and were you sort of were you a bit of a daydreamer? You don't strike me as somebody who would have caused trouble, or maybe you were.
1: I don't know. I know. I I was terrified of getting in trouble. Absolutely terrified of getting in trouble. So it wasn't that. I think it was, on reflection, I think I got it in my head really early that I wasn't very good and that I was a bit stupid when it came to maths and stuff. And that kind of gave me the fear of, like, well, I just, this isn't for me and I'm scared that if I... Try and keep getting it wrong, then they're going to realise that I'm a bit of an idiot. So I think it was, I think it was that a lot of the time.
0: Well, it's that thing as well when, you know, you know the answer to the question, but you're terrified to put your hand up in class just in case you've got it wrong. And then they call the answer out and you go, I knew it. I should have put my hand mm. up. But we don't, you know, as children, as some children, we don't really grow and learn from that. We just sort of, get scared and shut our mouth. Yeah. Because, oh, well, maybe we're, we don't feel as... Did you feel supported then by the teachers?
1: Um, oh, I mean, my memory's quite hazy. I th- Yeah, I definitely remember there being really good teachers, but then I remember being very aware, very hyper-aware of teachers that weren't very supportive, and I took it incredibly personally. I kind of very much absorbed that. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was always a strange mix, actually, between teachers that were either super supportive. And those were all the classes that I would do better in. And then you get, I remember a teacher that was like, look, if you just don't know the, put your hand up. And then in class, I put my hand up. She'd be like, well, you obviously weren't listening. (laughs) It's like, I'm so confused. I'm getting all of these mixed signals.
0: And how did you get on with authority? I only really say that because I, I certainly had trouble with authority figures. When really? I was in school, but then, but then again, it's not about me.
1: It's <laughs> about you. I want to know more about that, Craig. I'll tell you when we're not recording. <laughs> um I was quite scared of authority. I think I was very I I think I was scared of being disliked by adults. So I didn't want to be. Trouble, or I didn't want to get in trouble because I didn't like being told off. I didn't like being shouted at. That just put Uh absolute fear of God into me. Um, So yeah, I just kind of felt, um, I think, quite uneasy around authority figures. I think I wanted them to like me.
0: Do you do you still feel that now with people? Do you feel that there's a thing about? I mean, you know, I think all actors kind of (laughs) do want to be liked. And and it's and it's really odd because, you know, we kind of want that and then you go into a business that is so unforgiving and so brutal. It's hard not to take rejection personally.
1: It's strange, isn't it? But then I wonder if we do it for the kind of the, the thrill of the extremes of it. So, yes, we do experience the rejection. But on the flip side, when you get a job or you're getting praise for having done a part or a, a show or a film that does well, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. And then you're like, well, this is, you know, absolute validation. <laughs> so and
0: then don't know what like that, says that for us. It, it, it all disappears and you go <laughs> yeah. back to square one. Now, with, as an actor, we know, or, you know, people listen to this, maybe they don't. So with an audition, we go into a room, or certainly we used to go into a room with a prepared script, we'd meet a director, we'd meet a producer, we'd meet a casting director, and we would audition we would read the part and go, look, this is my starting point, uh, this is what I think I can do in it, this is my spin, what do you think? And together you would work on forming a character, certainly the starting block of a character. As a model, are people just looking at your photo and then looking at you? Or do you? you is it that thing where you're carrying your book around? I, this is a... Open the open the world of modelling to me. How did it all start, Emma? Because I, I don't know anything.
1: Okay. Well, what is it? where does it start for me personally?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: I had a friend that said her then-boyfriend had just qualified as a hairdresser and had to do a, a hair presentation. And she said, do you want to get your hair cut for 70 quid? And they'll take some photos. And I was like, uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that is literally how it started. I never knew how big the hair industry was. I was started out as a hair model, which basically means just having your hair cut and doing shows, presentations, photo shoots. Because you get all these massive brand, Tony and guys, Sassoon, um, that do you know all these presentations in global campaigns. So I started doing that, and then I got a modelling agent. So I didn't want to go to uni or drama school i didn't really know what to do my parents were like no we don't mind what you do but you've got to do something you seem yeah. to be enjoying doing these bits of modeling why don't you sign up with the agency and see how it goes um so that's what i did basically and then yeah you walk around with the book you go to casting sometimes you go to like 15 castings a day. you imagine if we had 15 auditions day. I mean, that would be a different thing, but absolutely insane. Bonkers. Um
0: But you essentially... What does it entail? So you would go... Say say you had, like, 10 or 15 uh, meetings a day. You would go in with your book, which is all... Is it past jobs that you would put in there, or...?
1: Yeah, so test shoots where you would basically do a shoot, you wouldn't get paid for it. Um, it would just be a shoot for free with the photographer to, like, build up your portfolio, um, and then other jobs that you had done. So kind of like your best work in the book. You walk around with a pair of heels in your bag, because you have to go and put a pair of heels on, Um, walk in. And sometimes you just know, like, as soon as you put your head around the door, they would just go, oh. (laughs) 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 And it's quite brutal. And then, yeah, you just go in, give them your book. They'd have a look through. They might ask you to walk up and down. They might take a few photos of you. You might have a chat. I think it it was so dependent on the brand, casting director, whoever was in the room, if they wanted to see your personality, basically. Um, Because sometimes I did, they were like, can you dance? Do, Do a dance or just have a conversation to see how you would be in the room and what you would kind of bring to the set. And then other times it was just like, yeah, you're not tall enough you're not thin enough you haven't got the right face or you haven't got the right hair or and there's nothing you can really do about that
0: but you yeah i suppose am i right in saying you're just learning on the job as a model yeah because so what kind of what kind of things actually what kind of things were you getting wrong at first
1: i didn't know how to i kind of knew how to pose but not how to work with a camera. I don't know. It's such a weird thing to actually describe. I remember my first proper photo shoot with my agency and I worked with a really wonderful photographer and um, he was directing me, basically. Um yeah. And I was just, you know, following his instructions and figuring out what was working for the camera Um but apart from that I mean it's all the day to day stuff of just like how are you on set how do you cheat people and I think that's part of your personality or it's or it's not
0: And were cuz you are tall Correct So I'm presuming that went <laughs> that went for you and would that have been would you have gone on to do catwalk modeling then How does that work
1: Uh yeah yeah I think it's weird the thing about modeling is it's such a genetic lottery. Do you know what I mean like it, you, yeah. And there are even some models that aren't very tall. I think it's just who they who an agency ends up liking, who brands want to book. Um but I did get offered some catwalk stuff. I remember my first agency were like, "Right, so do you want to go to Paris and live in a model house and do all of these millions of castings a day?" for Paris Fashion Week, and I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> 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 you just described my idea of how, because, like, you know, modelling was a job for me, but it wasn't my passion, and the idea of going to do that, I was like, nope, no thank you. I just It just didn't appeal to me uh, whatsoever.
0: I mean, you do hear, one hears quite dark tales of, of being a model did it ever did it ever get to a point for you where you felt like you were uncomfortable, you wanted to step away from it?
1: I think it got to a point, yeah, I think I wanted to step away from it for a while as I got towards the end. I knew it was never the thing that I was desperate to do. It wasn't my passion. Um, it wasn't creatively fulfilling for me because that is just not the role of the job. Um so Yeah I, At the I, moment
0: it, it kind of sounds like it, it, it happened a bit by accident, really, yeah. with the hair modelling, and then it seems that you're in a bit of a state of limbo about what to do, even though you did mention acting before, so I'm I'm guessing acting was was bubbling and it was on the cards at some point. But at that moment, and you were how how young were you at this point?
1: Uh, what when I kind of made the change? Um... No, kind
0: of when you started. When you started from going from the hair modelling to to getting oh, like eighteen,
1: seventeen. Right, 18? okay.
0: So, when you wanted to step away from it, was there a, a clear road that you wanted to go down? Because you can't sort of jump from one ship to something else. Were you thinking? Were you thinking I'm gonna give the acting a go?
1: It wasn't even that. It was kind of uh, the opportunity was presented to me. And only when it was presented, I was like, this is the life raft I jump on (laughs) to get away from modeling. I don't think I realized how kind of desperate I was to to finish it. Because at the end of it, I I was doing a lot of fitting modeling, which is basically you stand seven hours and you're a mannequin you know like a life mannequin that people yeah been things to and don't get me wrong there are many harder jobs in the world but it was just dull it was so dull and I got to the point where I was like sure, surely I can do more than this like surely I'm a bit more capable um and I'm not using my like you know potential as it were and that's the time where I got the audition for Dreamlands a short film through my modelling agency, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this this is it. Like, I just ha- I have to do this.
0: So this came through your modelling agency? Yeah. So how was that presented to you?
1: Uh, they just sent it in an email, and they were like, oh, this is an audition for a short film. I was like, excellent, went in, did an audition, got the job, and then <laughs> my modelling agency called me, and they were like, uh, amazing news! You've you've booked the short film, and I was like, incredible. And they were like, the "Thing is, um, we just don't think it's for you." <laughs> and I was like, "I'm I'm sorry, what?" And they were like, "Yeah, because like you're working with all these other brands, and, and you've got jobs with them, and I'm just I just don't think this acting thing is going to be for you." And that's the first time I kind of stood up for myself in that world. And was like, there's absolutely no way I'm not doing this. Like, I don't care what you think. I'll do it, you know, not for you. I'm like, I just, I have to do this.
0: Yeah. And how was that? Because that was, was that your first time in front of a camera? I mean, uh, as an actor.
1: I mean, I had done, <laughs> I did a Japan advert once, uh, which was potentially my first kind of, you know, taste of acting um, in front of some cameras. Uh, but no, I mean, in terms of what I would call like proper, proper experience. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that was my first, first proper time.
0: And so learning on the job as a model is one thing, but learning on the job as an actor, especially On a short film where, I mean, time's always of the essence anyway, but on a short film, there's little time, Mm. there's little budget. So you can't really afford to be making too many mistakes. So how how did you find that first step?
1: Um, Absolutely exhilarating and terrifying. I remember us being sat in this cafe on the beachfront in Margate and I was sat there before the cameras were about to roll on the first scene. And this, like, my inner monologue was just like, what are you doing? How, like, what are you gonna do? How's this gonna go? Are you just That's any good. words gonna come out of your mouth? Are you gonna say all the words backwards? Like, maybe you're just gonna be really shit. Um, and luckily, our director, Sarah Dunlop, I think she wanted to work with people who well, she obviously wanted to work with people who hadn't really had an experience and just to yeah. kind of see organically what would happen and we started doing the scene and she'd just keep the camera running and rolling and rolling and rolling and she'd keep giving us kind of notes and stuff but it felt like she really got the best out of us by the more we said it obviously the more you say something the more relaxed you get and then you stop thinking about the words that you're saying and you're just in the moment and being present so that for me was the best way best possible way of learning
0: it sounds to me that even though you're stepping into the world of acting now, it was quite a secure place to be as a model. You were working with lots of brands. Uh, financially, things were coming in. That was nice. That's a very comfortable, nice lifestyle. There's nothing to stop you sort of carrying on from that, even though, yet yeah, as you say, you're not creatively fulfilled. So to step away from all that and turn your back on it, to walk the tightrope of (laughs) rejection as an actor. That's quite a scary move.
1: Mm, I think, I I don't think I was scared. I think I was so ready for something new and for something I'd been so kind of desperate to do and so ready for. Um, And I'd spent, you know, the past... 10 years being rejected in that job so the rejection part didn't bother me at all i was used to that um and i was just i was just so ready to kind of like use my brain and use my imagination and to have a go yeah. at a new set of skills and i think i quite enjoy the not knowing if you're going to be any good because that in a way doesn't matter like you can't spend i don't think you spend too much time thinking am i going to be good or am i going to be bad it's like no you just need to have a go and see
0: what happens. Yeah, I I mean we can waste a lot of time overthinking things, can't we? I
1: love to do that. And
0: it's, oh. <laughs> well, the da- the doubt's My always there. Hobby. that that never goes away, does it? So, what was the next step for you then after the short film? So you've decided, yes, this is the path for me. I'm going to give this a go because you know, it doesn't matter I've got to I've got to be creative in some way. Mm. And standing up for 7 hours and having things pinned on you really Doesn't sound like it's there, does it?
1: Just wasn't quite cutting it for me. And like you said, there was a stability in the fact that normally in a modelling life you don't have a nine-to-five, and in a way that that was. And I had, like, replete clients who were really, really lovely. But I just, you know, there had to be something more. And I was really lucky that, well, I did the short film. On the short film I had this revelation of, like, I have to keep doing this. Like, I just knew it was the right thing to be doing. But didn't really know how. And then the next year, I got a text from director Sarah, and she was like, um, so the short film has been accepted to Cannes Film Festival, which was unbelievable. Because I was like, this could have been something that we made and we love, but no one is ever really going to see it. Or you just don't know with a short film, do you? Of,
0: of course you don't. I mean, nine times out of ten, they will they'll do the festival circuit, not necessarily something as prestigious as the Cannes Film Festival, but they'll do lots of short short film festivals around uh, the UK and Scotland and Wales. Mm. So it's very rare that people see them, certainly even rarer for it to go to Cannes.
1: Yeah, I just feel like we got so, and not just luck, there was so much talent um, and work and effort that went into it, but to be in competition in, in the short film category, Category at Cannes was an unbelievable platform to then jump off of because obviously managers and agents and people watch that stuff. Um, so that's how I ended up meeting my agent Molly. Um, and I did a meeting with her, and she said, Okay, why don't you just do some auditions for fun? Because I was trying to be as realistic as possible as well. Because I was like, maybe I just did a short film and that's the only thing I was kind of good at. Like who knows where this is going to go, and I really wanted to be realistic about it. And um, I did an audition, and then she called in, and she was like, well, you've got the job, so do you want to maybe sign with us? Um, so it felt like all these things kind of fell into place.
0: Yeah, they really did. At the did. right time. How were your modelling agents when you said, uh, oh, adios? Um. <laughs> <laughs> considering they were the ones that presented this short film and then went actually we don't think you should do it
1: yeah it's a bit of a messy ending Um, <laughs> but I, I but that point I think the amazing thing about doing that first short film was it gave me a new sense of confidence and a sense of self I hadn't had before and right. it gave me I kind of just kind of gave me a little bit of power and not in a like an egotistical way, but of just being like, no, I am right about, I need to trust myself. I need to trust my gut. And I know this is what I need to be doing. And if I'm with an agency that I just don't feel like this relationship is working anymore with the direction I want to go in, I'm happy to leave that behind. Like I knew I knew it was time for it to finish. So I just, yeah. I just started trusting myself a bit more, which was like the best thing I ever did. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and also it's hard because you're also gaining strength as a person. It's not egotistical, but you have to sort of, you know, I've spoken about this before, but you you have to build up your suit of armour ready to sort of, you know, kind of go into battle. Yeah. Because it's not going to be easy and it doesn't, doesn't really get easier. You just kind of take the hits and the hits hurt a little bit less.
1: Yeah, you can't just get used to it, don't you? Like it becomes
0: sadly, yeah.
1: <laughs> you, you normalize it. Um and I think we all kind of find our ways of of navigating it. Um But yeah, I just think I, th- I was so ready.
0: I think it's all about that, isn't it? It's all about constant navigation. Um but being prepared and being strong for Yeah.
1: It. And the thing is as well what I realized was as soon as you start doing it it gets easier and easier like as soon as you kind of jump off that cliff or whatever or put that first bit of armor on you're like oh, oh well if I can do that then what's the next step um and it's just like it's that repetition or that um that kind of positive progress where you're constantly proving to yourself oh well I should trust myself and I should just keep yeah you know, progressing,
0: but I think it's very for someone who's who was just started out in the business after that short film, a very realistic way of saying to yourself, "Well, I've done this short film, yes, it's gone to can, but that might be it. it nothing might ever happen. I think that's keeping your feet on the floor like that for everything I think it's absolutely brilliant, really." if I'm th- honest, because so many people can just, oh, well, I've just got this huge thing that's gone to Cannes and I've been nominated and now oh, nothing, nothing happens. But you you kind of build yourself up and you're constantly trying to weight yourself down. I think that's that's uh, that's a truthful and realistic place to be.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's the kind of the key to it in a way and I think what I've always you know when you do um interviews sometimes and someone says like oh what what role would you like to do next or like what job would you like to do next and I never quite know how to answer it because from those early days of doing the short film and getting my agent and everything I was like I don't really want to set myself massive my expectations because I'm very much someone that's like, I'd rather um, be pleasantly surprised than feel like I've let myself down, like kind of Uh setting those bars of like, well, I want to be in like a massive Marvel film this time next year and then kind of feeling that you're not meeting your own expectations. Um, I think that's just, it's just a losing game as soon as you get into it.
0: Absolutely, because you can't plan. There is no plan because the power nine times out of ten is taken away from you. You you don't make the decisions. Um and I think No, totally lost my totally lost where I was going. <laughs> right. We'll cut that bit out. <clears throat> is there ever was there ever a part of you that missed the modeling days, Emily? No. Not at all. <laughs>
1: not at all. I think ten years is a long time. Ten years <coughs> ten years in modelling is is a lifetime. Um and I'd I just reached the end of it. I didn't know. Not one bit of it did I miss. It all
0: seemed it all seemed a very natural progression leading up to where we are now.
1: Exactly. It's felt like that. It's felt really organic. Um and I will always be thankful to modelling for getting me to this point. Because I know I probably—I mean, who knows—in an alternative timeline ha- where you'd be at this point without such and such. But you know, I'll always—I'll always be thankful to it in that respect. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad it did set me up in a lot of ways for the world that I entered in terms of acting. Yeah. You know. Oh.
0: That's what I was going to say. I've just remembered. Yes, I hate that question too. When anybody says, what's the part that you'd really like to... Be? Well, I don't know. It might come through on an email tomorrow. It's not like... It, it's, it's a thing. It's just maybe the part hasn't been written yet. Yeah. Because you're constantly... You know, talk about being surprised. You're constantly surprised when someone comes in. And you go, what? Somebody thinks I could possibly do this. And then you go, right, now I've got to really try and show them that they're right, and I can do it, even even though, you know, we're talking about doubt before, you're just full of doubt, going, I don't know if this is going to be possible, but you've got to at least show or prove to somebody who thinks in their mind that you could be that person. So that's the role, Yeah, you don't know what it is.
1: That's so true. I've never thought about it that way, and that's so correct, actually, because, like you said, you audition for something. Like, for me, an example is playing Nancy, So when they were basically like Danny Boyle wants to offer you this job of playing Nancy Sponge, and he's basically then saying, I think you can do it. I believe you can do it. You then go, well, I have to kind of, you know, prove that I can. Um, and that, I think that gives you a bit of belief in yourself. You're like, well, if this person thinks I can do it, then maybe, maybe yeah. And I think that then kind of builds the momentum of, um, uh, just going for
0: it, and well, because also then, then you feel supported by somebody. You know, for instance, you know somebody like Danny Boyle who believes and is supporting me. Then, oh right, I feel a, I feel safe now, and I can rise to the occasion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, what did you know about the Sex Pistols before you started filming? Because I, I haven't finished it yet. Uh, and I'm halfway through. Every, you know, of course, everybody's very young, so none of none of you lot were around when <laughs> the Sex Pistols were, were, were storming the free trade hall.
1: Uh, no, I was not, and I I was aware of the Sex Pistols. Had heard, you know, like anarchy in the UK, um, and was aware very much of like all the iconography that was around at the time. Yeah. And, Kind of... And it's
0: links, and it's links with fashion.
1: Yeah, well, I never yeah. knew the link with fashion was so strong. Like I, again, I knew who Vivienne Westwood was, but I didn't know how all these kind of dots connected um, in this like massive cultural pivotal movement that happened. Um, so, I mean, it's so much fun when you get to do a job like that, and you're un- you're getting like a free history lesson.
0: Yeah, and also there's. There's quite a lot of research to do because it's all out there.
1: Yeah. I I always get a bit overwhelmed about research. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's like as soon as you do one Google search, you're like, oh God, suddenly I'm on like the twenty-fifth Google search page. And actually, I think for me, I can go too far and then need to go, okay, I know what I know, I've done my homework. I need to kind of shut that noise out now and just
0: go on the script? Well, yeah, especially when you're doing something like that and you, uh, there's, a, there's responsibility when you're playing a real-life person, mm. um, whether they be uh, living or dead. And also, when you're doing the research, especially in something like Sex Pistols, everybody seems to have their own story. Or, or, or their own version of events. You know, I just mentioned about the Free Trade Hall. It seems that everybody was at that gig at the Free Trade Hall when they first saw the Sex Pistols, where actually it's a very, very <laughs> small place and it was a very small crowd. But apparently there was thousands of people there. Yeah. yeah you can. You, I suppose you can go too far. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to the Bible and the Bible is the script.
1: Exactly that. And I was very aware as well. Like, I think when I first got the role, I felt much more a sense of responsibility, a huge weight of responsibility um, of playing a real person and really wanting to be respectful and kind of handle it quite delicately. But then when we got into rehearsals and started talking to Danny and Craig Pierce, the writer, it became very apparent that we were doing interpretations of these people, so they are based on a real person, but we don't know the conversations they were having behind closed doors. No. And you know, we you know we've got stories of what relationships were like, but again, like you said, everyone claims to be at that gate. Everyone's got a story. Like, what do we? Yeah. It, so much of it is mythologized. Um, of course, yeah. So it's kind of playing into that mythology. That's quite interesting.
0: And also, this isn't uh, a kitchen sink drama. There's a, there's a, and I mean this with total respect. There's a slight, slightly heightened cartoon esque energy, certainly to to the performances. Yeah, it, it, it's it is quite up there, and it maintains it. Yeah, of certainly where I'm up to at the moment. Um,
1: that's what I think so great because I think. I can only speak for myself, but they're quite big performances, but they were big characters mm-hmm. and they're known uh-huh. in popular culture as being these like huge big personalities. But then what I think is clever about Craig's writing is that they are very humanised and they're emotional and there's nuances. Um and I think that's a really fun balance
0: yeah. to play in. It's a with. lovely balance. And the energy of right from the word "go," it kind of rips along at such a, a fantastic roaring pace. Yeah, it, just, it grabs you by the scruff of the neck and takes you with it.:
1: It really you know, does. It really
0: kind of works. At first, I was um, concerned, not concerned. I couldn't imagine, this, you know, this story about the sex pistols and Disney sort of working together it was like just two polar opposite ends of the entertainment spectrum coming together for this story
1: yeah I think a lot of people have like potentially not been able to quite marry those two up but then I think if you look at the team that are actually making it like Danny directing it and exec producing it and Craig and them just being so passionate about the project and it being based on Steve Jones's memoir and he's very involved and we had so many like Chrissy Hind were coming and talk to us, so yes, there's new involved, but wow. we've actually got people from you know that time telling us the stories and um being really involved, so it's still very much like got the essence of of what it was,
0: yeah, I mean, you can't we talked about um power and planning of being taken away from you um uh, with regards to to jobs now when things are released again we don't know when things are going to be released but you've got two big shows both being released more or less at the same time and you know we started off this conversation about or you know about press and interviews how's it been balancing promoting both of these shows because it, again it very rarely happens it may never happen again that you have to do two at the same time but it is a balancing act.
1: Yeah, I wasn't really anticipating it. It was quite funny, actually. My my amazing, wonderful publicist Romilly came to me one day and she was like, "Okay, so um, both premieres on the same night," and I laughed. <laughs> 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 and I went, "That's absolutely hilarious." She was like, "No, Emma, it's a logistical nightmare." But I was like, "I guess I agree." But what a problem to have! Like, what yeah. a, what an incredible position um, to be in. So instead of getting, and especially as someone who can be prone to just (laughs) veering on the side of like stress, um, and worrying about stuff, I was like, actually, I just need to go the other way and think how phenomenal a position that is. And I don't know, it's been kind of good doing press for both at the same time because, I mean, I wouldn't get bored of talking about either anyway, but the shows are so different. It's not like I'm getting them mixed up. Um, no. So I found it quite refreshing to, you know, do an interview about Pistol and then do an interview about everything I know about love and kind of bounce between the two.
0: And also then, you're not promoting one show and are getting asked the same question by 27 journalists. Yeah. That... You can sort of refresh yourself in the you know the history of the Sex Pistols and move on to that, and then go back to to talk about Dolly's work.
1: Yeah, very much so. I think it keeps both fresh in my mind and interesting, and and um, yeah, I mean, there's not really many parallels, so it it does feel like two separate, yeah, two separate things just happening at the same time. But it's quite oh, good. Yeah. I think when you're in the momentum of it as well, that keeps you going. It's only been. Kind of in the past week or so, where it's slowed down and it's hit me like a bus. And I'm
0: like, Pfft. well, wow. that's it. It's what happens when you stop or when you stop working, and then all of a sudden your body goes, oh, right, you don't have to be up at five o'clock this morning. You're going to get ill now. Yeah. And you're going to be, you, I, I'm allowing you to be ill. So as soon as you finish a job, that's when you get ill.
1: It's amazing, as as isn't stop.
0: it? Yeah, it's incredible, really. Uh, it I- always happens.
1: Yeah, I do think, like, I don't know, mind over matter is a thing <laughs> when you're, like, not, not giving yourself to... I mean, inevitably sometimes you're doing a your job and you do get sick because your, your body just can't, uh, like, needs a needs a rest. But, yeah, it's a weird, it's a strange psychological thing. I quite like to know, like, the, <laughs> the science behind it.
0: Well, it's like what they always say when you're on stage and as soon as the lights come up on stage you'll be fine, you'll be looked after. Really? <laughs> by, by, by the space, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, wow. I haven't been on stage, so if that ever happens to me, I'll um, I'll let you know if I experience
0: it. Would, would, you, would you like to, Emma? Is that something... Because obviously we are talking about learning on the job throughout our conversation. That's completely different. That's something else altogether.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the jobs I've had... Like, 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 careers I've had, in a way, I've only ever learned on the job. Um, I think it's, like, a skill. I don't have many skills, but learning on the job is definitely a
0: Learning skill on the job, I yeah.
1: Have. And I really relish it. And I absolutely love studio theatre. I mean, it would be quite terrifying, but in a good way. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think, again, it would be something small in a tiny theatre that, like, you know, your parents and a a man and his dog comes to see. Um, But again, just to have a go.
0: And also, again, you allow yourself to fail.
1: Yeah. Which I think is...
0: Giving yourself that freedom is incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, there's magical things that come out of that. And I think you're constantly kind of restoring a bit of faith in yourself, of going... Even though that didn't work, at least I'm capable of giving it a go and seeing what happens and seeing what the outcome is. And yeah. I, the experience that we had on Pistol as well—we had like two months of rehearsal before we got on set, which is absolutely unheard of.
0: Wow! What um, a luxury.
1: Yeah, it was. It was such a privilege, and the boys were doing band camp because there's no post on the show as well. Like they le- learned all their instruments, and um, we got to go in and just talk through scenes talk through ideas with Danny, improvise together, um, like have a have like a bash at scenes, talk about what's working, what's not working, find little things. And I was like, if this is what you get to do in theatre, then I am totally up for it. Because it's just like being in a creative process with like-minded people. Um, and I just feel absolutely in my element when I'm doing that.
0: Oh, that's so I mean, you're right. That is unheard of. Two months of rehearsal. Two
1: months, yeah.
0: And then when you bounced on to everything I know about love, did you ask how much rehearsal time you were going to get? <laughs> I
1: was like, I only do jobs of two months rehearsal. Two months minimum. rehearsal. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Someone, um, someone's not going to work. Someone's <laughs> not working for a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, it was so strange, actually, because I finished that job and about a week later I had to go to Manchester. And they were like, right, we've got a week's worth of rehearsal, with, which basically meant, you know, you kind of do kind of like a little page turn, um, which is completely normal. That's what we yeah. used to doing. What was really nice is me and Belle and Ali and Marley got in a room together when we first met, and China said, right, I just want you to improvise as your characters, which obviously was terrifying. Um, but as soon as she said, go, you, you couldn't shut us up. So it worked really, really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all such a key part of the process is the casting, but especially for for you four that are so close you could finish each of the sentences. Um, so we, when you were auditioning, were you sort of in and out with lots of other different... Uh, girls for chemistry tests. Did that how it worked?
1: Yeah, we honestly. I, Craig, I went into the room so many times. <laughs> I should have just like set up shop and work in title. Um, and I think about the third time I went into the room, they said, "Right, we're going to do chemistry tests with. We're going to have three Maggie's and three birdies, and you're going to swap in and out." And I read with each birdie, and all the other Maggie's read with all the other buddies, et etc. et cetera. Um, And I'd never done anything like that before. I'd done chemistry tests before for, like, romantic leads, and you normally just yeah. go in with, like, one person, maybe another person. Um, but I'd never done them for, like, a friendship on screen before, and I thought that was a really nice thing to do. I would
0: say, I would say that would be more important than a chemistry test for a romantic relationship. Because I think yeah. I've always I always find them odd anyway. To be honest, but I think with a romantic relationship, it's like we'll we'll just act it.
1: Yeah,
0: we're not we're not going to be in love, but as this, this special bond, especially the Maggie and Birdie, you know, mm. they can share a bed. They've been friends together since they were at school. That's got to be something very very special.
1: Yeah, and I think it's got to be like magnets. I think you kind of need two people that come together and it's just like, yeah. oh, we instantly get on. It's like that friend that you haven't seen for ages but you start talking and it's like, I feel like I've known you forever. Um, so it's so great that they put so much like time and effort into, into finding that and... Um, yeah, I find auditioning with so many different people as well is so interesting. Just to, see, I love seeing people in the room. I'd love to sit in a casting session of anything and just see what people do when they come into the room.
0: Yeah, I mean it's something I've never done, but I'd be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall and just see how people present themselves. Mm. But how, how were you as the auditions sort of cranked up? Because there's a level of tension there. Because you're going, oh, I, I'm another step closer. I'm another step closer, and now you're in and out reading with all these people. Mm. You've got to really keep it together. But that surely has to be hard.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: You're going to say no, Craig. <laughs> Fine, and no. I was cool as a cucumber. No problem.
1: It was a breeze. Um, do you know what I think helps? And you'll probably know this too. I was working another job at the same time, so it wasn't like all my hopes and dreams were pinned on one job. I had something else to think about, and I think that is an absolute key. Sometimes, yeah, for. Oh, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Of you care and you need to care and you want to care, but you can't care too much because they'll know about it and they won't <laughs> give you the job because yeah. you look a bit desperate. <laughs> yeah.
0: Really want the job, <laughs> but show them that you kind of don't want it, even though you really do. I don't know; it's very hard. But it's, you're you're yeah. you're bang on the money. Yeah, but we, you know, in a completely. Zero arrogant way that gives you some a strength when you're going into the room because you you've you're you've got something else and also your brain is is sort of there and your heart is there so you can merge the two and balance it and I suppose, I suppose that's really yeah hate.
1: I think it gives you a lightness as well yeah um and it is a bit of confidence of like well, I'm working at the moment so I know I'm on the right track I know I'm doing the right thing and. I'm just going to go in and, like, give it my best shot. And, yeah, going in the room so many times was interesting because it did get to the point where I was like, okay, I've been in a lot, so it's looking quite positive. But I didn't hear anything for about a week, and I was like, oh, someone else has obviously got it. It's gone. Um, It's gone, and I was like, I'll make my peace with it. And then I got a call from Molly, my agent, being like, no, 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 they're going to get you back in the room one more time. (laughs) (laughs) And I went back in the room, and something kind of... Because I did want the job, and I loved the script, but something clicked in my brain, and I was like, there's not much more I can do. I'm not going to start doing something completely different. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, but apart from that... Because
0: obviously something's working.
1: Something's working, but like there's not much more else I can do. So there was a part of me that kind of was like, they're going to give it to me or they're not, and they'll just decide, (laughs) you know (laughs) what I mean? There's a part of me that let it go in the respect of if I got the
0: phone call and they were like, you haven't got it, I would be like, okay, fine. So, that, I, yeah, does that make sense? There's no, yeah, absolutely, because you just go, that, again, I think that gives you lightness because you're going, I have done everything I can now. Yeah. So if it doesn't go my way, yeah, I'll be bummed out 48 hours and I'll be a bit upset, but realistically, I couldn't have done anything more. I couldn't have showed them where I would want to go with the character. But also there's a great strength as well when you're going in the room all those times because you get to play about with the character and start building it there and then. So you've shown them from audition one to audition seven or whatever it was, the growth about where you would want to take it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also that's why I love going in the room as well because I like working with the director and I want to hear their notes and... I was lucky that I had worked with China before. Um, so I kind of I knew that we we worked well together and um so I like I like going in and knowing what the direction is. When I have to do a self tape, I mean I know they exist for a reason, but I have to direct myself and I'm like, but I'm not a director.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Long I'm a big campaigner for going back in the rooms because it as well as people you wanted to work with somebody and then wanted to work with you it's about excuse me it's all about complicity and working together Mm -hmm. as a team because you're going to be on the floor together for 12 plus hours a day Mm -hmm. so you need to have a relationship
1: yeah and it was so
0: no i was just gonna say for that very small amount of time of the day the camera's rolling the rest of it you've got to be able to get on. And also, you need to make sure that you're not a dick and they're not a dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if you go, I love the script, I love the character, and then you go, oh, my God, director's a total narcissist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so key. And you know, like, everyone knows as soon as you walk in the room what the vibe is. Like, I've definitely walked into rooms before, and it's just, <laughs> it's, just it's cold. <laughs> it's basically yeah. dead. And you're like... I don't want to be in this room for 12 hours a day for six months of the year. No. No, thank no. you. So That's it's
0: not conducive to any sort of working relationship, is it?
1: Yeah. And I think as much as they're auditioning you, you are auditioning them. And I think it's important for us to remember that as well, because we have to want to be there as much as they want us to be there
0: absolutely and I've said that for so many years on this podcast yes absolutely because it is all about building a relationship and being sound Mm -hmm. be just be sound and be open you know but it's funny you should say that about walking into the room and you're going oh I can feel it because you already had that as a model because when you Mm. would go into the room and you go oh yeah they really don't want me you can just tell can't you
1: yeah, yeah, you kind of absorb it. I mean, I'm very much someone that kind of like absorbs the the feelings and the mood that's around me anyway. So I think, yeah, and especially as actors, we pick up on it like instantly. The worst is when you go in and you've got like 10 pages for an audition and you know when you've sat down. I've had it before. I'll sit down and in their mind, they're like, she could do the best. Like most Oscar-worthy audition, but I know it's not her. And you have to sit there and do your audition, going, "I know they've already decided it's not me." Yeah,
0: yeah. I've I I remember years ago, I just left an audition because I I knew I read it once and I just knew they they would did not want me at all. Right, and they went, Pff, "Do you want to do you want to read it again?" Like they couldn't give a shit and I just went <laughs> I just went, No, I'm probably just gonna go. And they went, Okay. Like they were as happy for me leaving the room as I was to sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Just gonna mm. I'll, just, I'll just we're just wasting each other's time, really, aren't we?
1: Yeah, that's a really good call though, to go, actually no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah I'm <laughs> just gonna I'm let's cut our losses.
0: <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable, yeah. so I just Strange, thought, isn't yeah, it? I'm just going to go. Um, Emma, are you good at watching yourself back?
1: Um, Am I good at it? <laughs> um. I mean,
0: <laughs> some people are just... I'm not. I'm not good.
1: Interesting. As I in, I, I you don't it
0: do it? I, I, I very rarely do it. Okay. If, I, I mean, I would... Like, if I'm on the floor, if I'm at work, I would never watch a monitor. No. But if there's something technical, if there's a technical aspect, if there's some sort of um, dance within a fight scene and I'm not getting it right, then obviously Stunt coordinator takes me back and goes, oh, this is what you're doing, but what you actually need to do is this. Yeah, no problem, because I'm not looking at it um, with my sort of actor's head. I'm looking at it from a technical point of view. But, like... If I'm flicking around on the telly and I know something's on, like there's no way I'm watching it.
1: Really, I no. I'm the same with you on set. I won't watch playback because I'm not in. It's going to take me out of what I'm doing, and I kind yep. of don't want to really remember that it's being <laughs> recorded for telly. Um, but if it's technical, then it is really helpful, and you can kind of decompartmentalize that. Um, I do like watching it I haven't watched everything I've ever done it kind of depends if it's something that I do want to watch anyway um but I I've learned not to rip myself apart because that's not fun and it's not helpful and there's no point I do like it occasionally I'll see something I'll go oh I quite like what I did there and I quite enjoy that um when I kind of don't, don't see myself and I see me kind of doing the acting thing, if that makes sense.
0: Doing a bit of the Um, acting, yeah. I mean, it does make sense, but it's very hard
1: to not be critical. Yeah, I think I'm quite good at creating, like, a lot of distance. Like, I feel so detached from it a lot of the time. I feel like it's two different versions of me. Like, me watching it is a different version, is different from the person on TV doing it, Um, which... I think that's very
0: bizarre <laughs> no i think it's very healthy actually mm. because i think i know some people that do watch everything mm. and they're super super critical and they'll just you know as you say rip themselves apart with what they've done but then they've got to sort of put themselves back together because that's their job and yeah. they've got to go and do something else and lo and behold it'll happen all over again
1: Mm, Yeah, I'm not really... That's that's
0: not healthy.
1: No, and I'm not interested in sitting there and ripping myself apart. And I just know that I'm not going to get anything from it. There will be scenes I'll see where I'll go, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. But there's nothing I can do about it now. I did it like that. And I know that I'm constantly trying to learn and get better and just... um, but also just enjoy it. Also, I like watching stuff because I like seeing everyone else's work. I want to yeah. see how the DOP lit it, and I want to see um, the editing, and I want to see everyone else's performance and the bits that you're, you know, the scenes you're not in. I'm kind of much more interested in seeing, seeing those bits.
0: Oh, yeah, the, the scenes you're not in... Definitely. What They're, the
1: best 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 They're the best ones. They're the best
0: ones. Look, with my work, it's always the best ones. Um, Emma, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Uh, and long may you continue uh, growing and learning on the job.
1: Oh, crazy it's been so much
0: fun. Not taking a load of drugs in Liverpool. By the way, <laughs> we were just joking. We were just acting, taking drugs. No real drugs were consumed by myself or Emma Appleton. Okay?
1: Correct. <laughs>
0: Emma, take care. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Take care, Grey. And another episode is done. You see, some things never change, do they? Despite the renovation. Uh, I really couldn't think of a better guest than Emma. She's so bright and sparky, and I think she's got a fantastic... Future ahead of us. She's lovely and she, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, so, welcome back to everybody, and also welcome to all the new listeners joining us. Um, so, just to break it down for anybody that's new, what we do is seasons and it's 20 episodes per season, and we do two seasons a year. That's 40 episodes. Uh, it just seems to be more manageable. And uh, Oh, my God, we have got some brilliant guests coming up. Um, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you anything, am I? Because we like treats every week, and that's what you're going to have every Thursday. Hit subscribe. You're going to get a lovely podcast with somebody interesting, and we'll get to know them all together as a community because that's what we do. Um. What else? So it's Thursday today. Uh, It's really good to be back. I've really missed it, I must admit. Um, I'm, when when this is going out, I will, uh, I'll be in Glastonbury. I'm going to Glastonbury. Can you believe it? So if you're going to Glastonbury and you hear this on the way to Glastonbury and you see me, come and say hello. Um, It's going to be brilliant, I think. Well, I certainly think the weather's going to be fantastic, so that's going to help a lot, right? Um, So look, if you feel you can support us, go to patreon.com, patreon.com. Have a look at all our fantastic merchandise that is there. The T-shirts and the hoodies are perfect for festivals. Put one of those on at like nine o'clock when it's getting a bit chilly. Who's your favourite podcast? Two Shot Podcast, obviously. Bang. Also, you're helping support what me and producer Griff do. It's what we love. Uh, It seems to be going very well after five years. Uh, The guests that we get, I like to feel, aren't doing the podcast rounds. So you're not going to be hearing these conversations anywhere else. And that's kind of the point, you know. But if you can't support us now financially, do not worry. You're still going to get free podcasts every week. And speaking of every week, should we meet back here next Thursday? Maybe my hay fever will be a little less brutal. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. And until next week, I say some things never change. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff and this has been the opening episode of season 10 of the Two Shot Podcast with a little bit of added hay favour. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Verore. Cheers.